I'm Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in a Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years, I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you, and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you so much for listening. We are continuing in the PR series today, and we are going to be talking about something that everybody is dealing with and I know has questions about. We have a really awesome guest. We're talking about social media today. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. We have Sarah Bujea, who is the VP marketing at Later, the social media management software. She manages a 45-person team across content, product marketing, creative operations, web, and demand generation. She loves to incorporate brand into everything she does. Throughout her career, she has worked with brands on a variety of budgets and knows that you can have a big impact on a small budget. She loves to dig into the goals of brands and follow measurement and analytics to guide decisions for growth. So today we're going to dive into social media and especially talk about B2B companies, how we can all get better at making decisions for our social media and maximize our efforts. Sarah, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. That was a very kind introduction. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. I'm really excited. Um, first of all, just share, share a little bit about your background, kind of where you're coming from, what's influenced you. Yeah. So I, I sometimes I wonder if my background makes for an interesting or a boring story <laughs> because it was somewhat it was somewhat linear in the sense that uh you know one of my earliest jobs was working for a kids magazine here in Toronto and I'm, I'm based in Toronto and oh, that's cool. a kids magazine that was for initially started off as Blue Jays fans and then turned parlayed into a magazine that was just for kids and was distributed nationally and so you know I I did that as a as a teenager Hmm. And I went on um, in university to study media information and technology and a fast follow to, you know, to college. Uh, I started working as a media buyer um, at a massive, uh, you know, advertising and creative agency. In college, wow. Or just 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 after college, that was okay. that was the first job that I had as a as a digital media buyer, which was a very new role at the time. And it was when you bought when you wanted to buy display ads, which were three hundred by two fifty, one sixty by six hundred, and seven twenty eight by ninety. Those were your three sizes. Those still exist, and there's many more. Uh, you had to buy them directly from the website you wanted, and you had to negotiate the rate and buy them on behalf of your client. And so when I kind of piece all of these things together, uh, 
you know, it, it kind of makes sense in terms of where I've ended up. Um, I've always had like a deep interest in media and technology. And so mm-hmm. I managed to find the literal combination of both. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I spent my career, I started off in retail and e-commerce and I moved into more uh, of the startup world, wanting um, to just be more ingrained in, in solving problems on a day-to-day basis versus, you know, a bigger entity that had already had a lot of things figured out. Uh, and, uh, you know, in my last role came off an exit was at a company that was bought by H&R Block, acquired by H&R Block. And, uh, you know, previous to that, a different company that also got acquired. And so it's just really fun to be a part of companies that are building and creating things that have an impact on our society. And, uh, that was, you know, a big consideration for me and in joining later, uh, which, you know, are, we pride ourselves on being leaders in social media and it's a a fun space, a, a crazy space at times. And, uh, but nonetheless, very rewarding. Yeah. Love it. And for those of those listening who are unfamiliar with later, um, can you just share a little bit about later and what makes it unique? Sure. So, uh, later was actually also was acquired by Maverick. So we are one company, uh, Maverick and later Maverick offers, uh, the best in influencer marketing software and later is social media management software, uh, with a big emphasis on our Lincoln bio tool, uh, we were actually the first to market with Lincoln Bio, and uh, we own the domain, uh, so we're the Lincoln Bio originals, and uh, uh, we're a social media scheduler as well, among lots of other things that you can do with the platform. Yes, I have been a user for years and and love later. So, if you guys don't have one or you're looking for another one, definitely check it out. So, a lot of my listeners are in. B2B and tech and professional services, what do you see as unique challenges that they face versus more like consumer packaged good types of companies? Yeah. Yeah. I got to say like, I, you know, CPGs, there's a huge emphasis on brand and brand building, right? Like if you're selling laundry detergents that cleans clothes equally as good as another laundry detergent. Uh, the differentiator really is in in the brand uh, right. and, and the story that you tell around it and and everything that kind of comes with that. I think there's a bigger emphasis there and therefore more investment. In a B2B, in a B2B world, in a SaaS world, in a tech world, I think a unique challenge is you start to see, and and sometimes we might make jokes for ourselves, a lot of tech companies start to look and feel the same. Mm-hmm. There isn't as there, there's been such a historical co- uh, focus on driving growth at times, driving growth at all costs, and in a world that's constantly changing and and requires um, innovation to stay relevant, uh, there's a bigger emphasis on product and product development, which makes a lot of sense because that's mm-hmm. you know really what's needed. I think what happens from a marketing standpoint, though is the way companies go to market and the way they present themselves in market starts to feel and look the same because it's kind of like this, the playbooks don't really vary that much. And so uh, from a creative perspective, 
I think that there's some missed opportunities in doing things a little bit differently and considering how to marry, uh, you know, and I have a background in demand gen, um, by no means did I grow up as a brand marketer, but I, I think that the fusion of these things is something that a lot of B2B tech companies struggle with, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in, in professional services. It's, it's not that you need to go be a Nike of your world or the Nikes, you know, the Nike or the Apple of your world. Uh, you're playing a different game, but I think the, the fusion between driving demand with a consideration for creativity and doing things differently and, and innovation is something that a lot of companies really have a hard time in, in rallying together or even thinking about in the same conversation. Yeah. And, and you mentioned missed opportunities. Can you get into maybe specifics of you're like, oh man, you know, why aren't they doing this or, or example of maybe some who are doing it really well, you know, something that people kind of picture this a little bit more clearly. Yeah. So, okay. So an example that I'll have is I think that some companies, depending on uh, their, the vertical and space they play in might be afraid uh, to use certain channels. So I'll pick on TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> I've heard it many times before. TikTok is for 14-year-olds making dances. I think there's some rhetoric and and groups of people who might uh think of TikTok that way. Uh now I would say one of like the example that I would give on the flip side of that is uh a TikTok channel, uh sorry, a TikTok uh account that I follow uh would be Miss Excel. Miss, Miss Excel is uh, it is a it is a channel dedicated to using Excel, Microsoft Excel, <laughs> more effectively. Okay, not it something is, you think fourteen year olds are super excited about. <laughs> no, and it's 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 arguably not the most sexy thing. Is it a practical thing? Absolutely, it is so useful. Uh, it has I, from from following the channel has also parlayed into other opportunities. Miss um, Excel is basically an influencer for Microsoft Excel. Yeah. Interesting. Like it's it's almost as if Microsoft Microsoft should have done it for themselves. Uh, but what happened was someone took it upon themselves to uh, share shortcuts and hacks for Excel that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have now watched. Hmm. And Crazy. so it's it's not the the most direct tie to a platform that's known for uh, trending sounds and and trending dances but it has like an amazing use uh that you have channels that can effectively uh promote the use of a software right at its finest and so i i see that as a missed opportunity where uh kind of creativity intersects with especially platforms in the social media space it isn't about just a cookie cutter image and and um doing something, taking something you've made for another channel and then just slapping it onto another, like just repurposing it because that's what you have. But really like taking the time to think about how to use these in ways that people will actually find useful because if they find it useful, chances are they'll save it and chances are they'll share it. Mm-hmm. And right then and there, you create a wheel that over time more than pays for itself. Yeah, no, that that is great. And um. 
you know, I would think of YouTube as, okay, that's, you know, perfect for hacks and things, but you're right. You're shortening that. And then, because I know a lot of people are on LinkedIn, so um, maybe types of content that you see working really well, if it's something similar yeah. or different than that for B2B, like what do you see as being most effective in engagement? Yeah. So I, I think it's about, you know, for in the B2B space, it's knowing your audience and what they're looking for, depending on where they are. LinkedIn's really interesting because from what I can gather, there's still a lot of different content types that work. Uh, there's some clickbaity type ones that will generate a lot of volume uh, in the sense of, you know, you kind of have like a very misleading line and then you hide everything below the fold. So it forces someone to open it up and read everything. And then there's kind of this punchline at the end. And that's taking that's taking like a very content content uh, writing approach, so to speak. We have actually seen some of our uh, and, you know, later uh, caters to to businesses. We've seen some of our TikTok content actually do very well on LinkedIn. Mm. And so, you know, we have I have some hypotheses as to why I think. LinkedIn can be super dry and really inconsistent in terms of the quality of content that you have access to. Uh, it's depending on how many people you follow and how many um, connections you have, you can have like a real mixed bag uh, of content. And so going there on a regular basis to learn might not seem instinctive to many people, uh, but going somewhere to be entertained, most people never say no to that. <laughs> right. And so taking the opportunity that if someone's on LinkedIn and they could be there for a variety of reasons, like think about why they're on the platform in the first place and think about why they're going through the feed. Um, it may be to just know what's, you know, what job moves are, who's moving around, who's doing what, uh, what's available or to learn something. And so you kind of want to cater to the different potential pillars of why someone's there. In my experience, uh, something that's entertaining and interesting never fails no matter what platform you're on. You just want to make sure that it's the right length uh, for wherever it is. And chances are shorter is better with a few exceptions, of course. Uh, but but LinkedIn is one where we've actually seen TikTok style videos perform really well hmm. and get shared and they get liked. And um, from a brand affinity perspective, we get a lot of feedback uh, because it makes people happy or, or they find it useful. Um, and then I think there, there's, there's some cl more classic typical approaches, uh, where it's short and sweet and, and that, you know, can just be, it doesn't necessarily get a lot of, uh, engagement. Um, but it does fit in contextually with maybe what else is going on. Yeah. What about humanizing brands? So for B2Bs, for tech, yeah. um, how can they do a better job at creating content that really humanizes their brand? That's a great question. I think that many tech, many B2B companies and tech companies can stay away from this um, yeah. for a variety of reasons, you know, between not wanting to put too much equity into it necessarily a personality being attached to that band, that mm -hmm. that brand uh you know being dependent on it on it being around a certain employee and how does that change if that employee decides to go work somewhere else right so there's there's that aspect of the humanization 
I think it's a very worthwhile endeavor because when you have personalities uh, at your company that are speaking to you know your trials and tribulations and sharing wins and losses, I think it also creates a degree of empathy with your followers. Uh, I think it also uh, also creates a degree of vulnerability that builds trust. Assuming you know that's all done through like a very authentic lens, right? The more um, the more curated you try to be, the less authentic it is. And I think we've seen in many cases where uh, where companies take this human approach, which I say a human approach equals a degree of vulnerability. We mm-hmm. have to remember that it doesn't just mean stick a face on this and have them write some thought leadership. It's so much more than that. Uh, it's, it's it's really putting it also into layman's terms so that other people can understand uh, wins and losses in a way that isn't kind of hidden in give me a pat on the back or give me a gold star. Mm-hmm. Look, at how I, look, look at how good I was about doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like the the more raw stuff that helps build trust, yeah, uh, and gives a degree of transparency that I think, uh, you know, prospective clients and customers really want. Yeah. When it comes to lead generation and yeah. using social media for that to grow their brand to grow their leads. What would you say is an effective approach and an ineffective <laughs> approach to that? Lead generation. Uh, well, it depends on it depends on the on the topic. I think white papers and data are always going to have their place. I think the way that those are created and brought to market has room to be better on all fronts from all companies. Uh, does everything necessarily have to be in you know a 10 page PDF? Yes, no, maybe. I think experimenting with different ways of doing that can present different outcomes from a lead generation perspective. Uh, social can be done, can be used to do that in a way that engages users when they're not necessarily like deep within the funnel or within your buying cycle, right? Mm-hmm. They need to know that you exist in the first place, that right. you're even within their consideration set. And so social can be a really great way uh, to share. Again, I'm in a, I'm, it's really predicated on sharing useful content uh, because it's the best way to engage someone that uh, when you have something even meatier, they're more likely to give you more information in exchange for it. The exchange mm-hmm. is more worthwhile and more trustworthy. And so when you put together that, you know, when we put together some of our um, our, our larger uh, campaigns and uh, thought leadership pieces, it's because that can be really successful because we've already built some trust for people to know who we are in the first place, that when we go to ask for more information um, for from a lead generation perspective, there's trust in that exchange that what they're getting is quality in return. And even because you have a background in ads and talking about, 
incorporating the ad side of social with just regular posts and any yeah. tips you have on on that for oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah I think uh from a from a from a paid perspective so mm -hmm. like paid advertising on social media channels there's so much sophistication uh you know even barring with the deprecation of cookies uh that has made some targeting um more obsolete than it used to be yeah uh, but even with even without that, there's still uh, lots of targeting options. So I think being um, testing out different um, there, there's still a lot of different categories that you can target. Um, testing out different copy and creative, uh, whether that's by age, that's by uh, um, by location. Uh, I also think like from an audience list, retargeting like to me it's it, it would be very basic um creating lookalikes of who you already have as customers uh suppression list to just make sure you're not advertising to people who are already um in your ecosystem uh as well as uh you know i think finding unique ways of combining um targeting uh, whether it's from like a demographic or a geographic perspective, along with like any existing audience lists that you might have and finding ways to tie those together can kind of uh, create some opportunity and really getting like intentional with uh, with creative for different markets. Uh, not just because it's easier. It's definitely easier to run the same ad everywhere and just let it do its thing. Uh, and even some of the best practices from the social platforms, they'll tell you that that's how you should do it. But I, I've had experience where, uh, you know, I've tested different creative for different markets and really forced spend that way um, to have like uh, a real test. And and sometimes going against those those platform best practices can be in the best interest of the advertiser. It may not be in the best interest of the platform. But that's that's not what we're here for. Yeah. And even, you know, when you are running a paid campaign, things to be mindful of with, okay, if they are clicking on you, tapping on you, whatever, and then they're in your feed, what should you have pinned or highlighted? Like, what are the most important things to really kind of maximize? okay, we got them. They're looking at us. That means we're definitely something yeah. they're considering what's really important to convey. I think on, for the ad, it depends what the call to action is for the particular ad. So you might actually be running ads that are taking them directly out of the ecosystem and trying to drive them back to your website. Right. If that's the case, then obviously there's certain considerations for where you're having them land. You want to make sure it's contextually relevant and easy to navigate. If you're bringing them um, to a place that might be in, within your social channels or even in general, if you're advertising on social, you want to make sure that you have some, you have your organic social strategy in place, mm -hmm. uh, that you do have different content pillars and things that you're considering. Uh, you want to have some of your top performing content ideally pinned to the top. You want to take advantage of any and every single piece of real estate you have to be driving your main message. Uh, so if we're talking, let's say about Instagram, I mean, a, a great tool uh, that this is where, you know, we take, we use this heavily for ourselves is Lincoln bio is 
the Lincoln Bio, uh, which is you know a product that we offer, it's our link in our bio on our Instagram uh, page, uh, allows you to open up to even more links, yeah. um, zero in on other content that you might find relevant or um, a much more curated approach mm -hmm. uh, to what to the other things that we might have in addition to our feed. So I think taking advantage of of tools like that um, yeah. that are either free or inexpensive mm -hmm. um, to drive traffic and consideration to other properties you own, such yeah. as your, your website, or to sign up for your newsletter can be a really effective way of tying it all together. Yep. Love it. Love it. I have a few questions from listeners. Sure. So one was, is there really a best time to post? I think this is referring to Instagram, but there's always that. Is there this mystical sweet spot? <laughs> yes, there is really a best time to post. Uh, and it will vary depending on businesses and audiences, uh, which time zones you play in most, most, um, most often. And so... Uh, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. The next piece is we actually have an amazing piece of content on the later site that helps break this down and it does it way more justice than I ever could in the next you know 30 seconds. Uh, but then also the benefit of, of schedulers is that you can, uh, there's, there's tons of technology that allows you to see what the best time to post is and can prove it based on your results. And so you can, test you can you can test the same thing or um start to see like week over week and month over month what happens when you when you post on certain days of the week and certain times of day of the week i think we can all agree that posting something at friday at fr on friday at five o'clock <laughs> in a b2b space is probably not going to be as effective right as maybe earlier in the day earlier in the week mm-hmm mm-hmm what about, okay, so here's a question. Does scheduling affect your views? I think there's some concern. Oh, yeah. Is, how is it seen by the algorithms on the channels? Does that affect anything? No. Short answer is no, but that's a fun one. I enjoy, I, that's a, that's a, we, we should almost do a, a myth debunking video. It just gave me an idea. Yeah. Because uh, that's a common question, but uh, mm -hmm. the short answer is no. Okay. Tips for repurposing content. Ah, uh, that's great. So I think there's thinking about the initial piece of content you create in the vein of where else is it going to go live upfront? So you might think, oh, we're going to go do a white paper or a, you know, and we're going to go create a blog post. Well, I would even, I would suggest taking even a step back before that, thinking about the topic you're trying to tackle and thinking about what's the main, what would be, you know, kind of the crown jewel piece of content. And then how would, how would that live in different channels? And it's a matter of having something longer, bigger, meatier. And from there, it gives you a lot of options in terms of how you repurpose. So depending on the channel, it will be a lot shorter. It might be a snippet. It might be a, you know, it's essentially a tease mm -hmm. because you want to lead it. You want to, you want to attract users to where there's more. 
you constantly want to give this breadcrumb trail of taking them from one thing to another. And so where there's an opportunity uh, to think about it in a big way, knowing that it's going to go get put in all, all these little, these other places, you want to do that kind of thinking up front rather than trying to force, force a piece of, force an asset into a place that maybe it doesn't belong after the fact. Right. Or think, oh, we got this snippet for Instagram now, instead of kind of like what you said, looking at everything and figuring out which pieces are going to do the best on different channels, trying to take one piece from one channel. And it's much harder to take that and force fit that somewhere else than to say, okay, we have this big thing to work with. What's going to be best in the different places. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what about metrics? So which ones would you say do people obsess about when they shouldn't and which ones maybe are underrated that they should take a look at? Uh, on social number of followers, it is not unimportant. It, it, it has a lot of, it has validity, but what has even more, uh, importance I would argue is engagement rate. And so it's all on, on a scale, right? So you can have a really high engagement rate, but not have high follower count. So that means that the number of people who are engaging with your content is just significantly less. Generally speaking, the more followers you have, the harder it is to have a high engagement rate. And so that's normal and that's to be expected, especially you know given how much visibility your posts may or may not have. Uh, but I think weighing them together becomes really important as well. Growing follower counts is important in growing your audience. At the same time, it's also making sure that you're growing, that your engagement rate is staying steady and growing uh, where possible, because that's that's an indication of how many people are actually interested in what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And I think also uh, a question that I hear is, and I think this really relates to Instagram, which seems like it changes every week, <laughs> um, is how to be other than posting frequently, but how to be seen by more accounts when it seems like they are not showing my content to very many people. I love Instagram. I really do. I've had a deep love with it for a very long time. And this is, this is even after over, I don't know, 10, 15 years, uh, it's still a tricky it's still a tricky nut to crack. Mm -hmm. uh, I think influencers and playing in the influencer space is an incredible way of uh, getting visibility from folks that you may not otherwise and getting um, access to, to different audiences. Uh, so it collaborations? is- collaborations? Like, or what yeah, do you mean like through, through, through collaborations. Okay. Uh, and I think- there's a lot of different ways to go about doing those collaborations. I mean, at Maverick, um, that's what we do uh, in terms of connecting brands with influencers. Uh, but I think, for, especially for smaller accounts, um, looking for other related accounts and kind of riffing off of them, like it isn't about like if you exist, I can that like two both can exist at the same time. So I think it's about like finding opportunities for partnerships and collaborations on the platform. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to get more visibility. Uh, and I think a lot of it really has to do with cracking the code on what kind of content is 
uh, going to keep people engaged. That's why engagement rates are so important because Instagram and any social platform is going to uh, is going to favor the content that's most likely to keep users in their ecosystem. They don't want people leaving, right? So the the better your content, the more likely people are to be engaged, the more likely it is to show because uh, that is exactly that's in the best interest of of for your brand and the best interest for the platform. Yeah. And let's pull in LinkedIn as well, because I know a lot of B2Bs are on LinkedIn. And do you see a lot of collaborations happening on LinkedIn or what would be an effective way to really, you know, expand reach on there? Uh, LinkedIn's kind of untapped in the uh, collaboration space, I would say. Hmm. There's not a lot that goes on there from that point of view. Right. There's definitely a lot of like LinkedIn thought leaders and mm-hmm. influencers who, you know, there, there's probably quite a bit of opportunity to to consider how to work with uh, some of those folks. It's, it's just not, it, it, it hasn't been done in mm-hmm. a more traditional sense. So there's probably opportunity there. Yeah. Um, but also, I think LinkedIn is more about uh, consistency and um, just posting on a regular basis. And it has to be something thoughtful, uh, either at, but through asking a question or something engaging or something that someone can learn from. I find that uh, it, it just requires a commitment and a consistency over time. Um, that's that's not necessarily something that's going to that's going to, you're going to get a bunch of reach overnight. I know. Um, so I had Lindsay Gamble on here a few weeks ago from, from Maverick. And yeah. um, one thing I know is commenting can be helpful, you know, with, with LinkedIn where there aren't necessarily, but commenting on thought leaders and especially publications, large publications and their articles. There's a lot of articles being posted over there. Um, you know, I know that's, that's one tip that, that has helped some people, but yeah, I, I don't really see a lot of collaborations the way that you think about them on platforms like Instagram happening there. So I don't know, maybe that's, maybe there's opportunity there. Maybe someone could, yeah, I think, I think that that actually could be really, it seems, it doesn't seem that obvious uh, because I think some of those, those thought leaders, uh, it, it's almost like, LinkedIn is is intended to be a different space, right? It's not mm-hmm. supposed to be, it's not supposed to work the way Instagram works. Right. But what is a way uh, brands can also insert themselves into the conversation? So even if you're not the, the topic, you might have a take on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the humanization also comes in. And as a brand, having a point of view on certain subjects can be really valuable Um in taking that to LinkedIn and and participating in the conversation, if, even if you're not leading it. Yeah. Yeah. What about when it comes to outreach? So thinking about DMs, whether that's Instagram, LinkedIn, different platforms, how can you be effective and avoid being spammy in outreach? Uh everyone's going to have a, an opinion on what spammy means mm-hmm. and you're never you're not it's you're never going to please everybody but i think uh being authentic being straightforward 
uh, providing value, useful information, shareable information, or even considering templates that you think might uh, might help someone. I think like a you know cold outreach and just saying like, hey, I have the solution and I want to talk to you. We're not in a world where that's good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it there's a certain level of personalization that is also really helpful um, and taking note of someone's past and their history or, or their working history uh, and asking a question. So it could be as simple as that. Hmm. And it does feel, it can feel a lot less spammy that way. I like that. Yeah. Instead of immediately going to, here's what I want to talk to you about. It's here's something I'm more the curiosity approach. I saw this in your background and I'd love to know something about it as a good, yeah. Because I know people say, oh, you know, think of it like a cocktail party. You wouldn't immediately walk up and say, hi, I'd really like to do business with you. You would get to know them. So I like that, taking a taking a curiosity approach. We have covered a lot of different types of topics today. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to leave listeners with when they are planning and thinking about their social media and how to really maximize it. We did. We went to a lot of different areas. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I think, I think in summer, like, you know, to kind of summarize, I, I think social media is the place where you have to be comfortable with taking a degree of risk and embracing that because it can really be breakthrough for like both you and your brand in terms of, you know, authenticity and building empathy with your prospective customers. Everyone's human at the end mm-hmm. of the day, right? And we're all just trying to uh, do what we got to do and and find ways to improve our lives and the life, like, you know, the lives within our business and, and what we're, you know, what we're all trying to accomplish as businesses. And everyone's trying to do that at the same, at the end of the day, where it's not that different. It might be different companies or verticals, but we all have similar goals. And so I think kind of going back to the the human approach is just remember you're talking to people. Right. And I, I think all too often we forget that. Yeah. And so start there mm-hmm. and see if that, see if that makes a difference. Love it. Thank you, Sarah. And yeah, no problem. For those listening, where are the best places to reach out to you and to later? I don't know if you just want to send them to your LinkedIn or what's best for sure. you. Sure. Uh, you know, on Instagram, we're at later media. You can find us on, on uh, LinkedIn, just the same. Uh, my LinkedIn is uh, linkedin.com slash Sarah Buchea. So you can find me there. We'll have those uh, in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you can also find us on uh, TikTok and any other social media platform you can play on. Well, thank you again, Sarah, so much for just sharing your insights with my audience. I really appreciate it. Awesome, my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. To succeed in business, you need brand awareness, authority, and trust. To get those, you need visibility. Podcasts offer each of these. It's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. 
Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at christybilbury.com.